morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And whether you are with us in person or on the live stream, we offer you a very warm welcome, and we're grateful that you are joining us and that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you're a first-time visitor, we are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning, and we hope you got the little bag of goodies as you came in. If not, we'll have folks get them or get them on your way out. And I would like to encourage and ask, if you're sitting on the end of an aisle, there should be a friendship pad there. Take a look for that pad. This we ask of everyone. So this is, we're not picking on visitors or anything like that. I often like to say, if you're breathing, we encourage this. This is our way of just kind of uh, getting to know you. Fill out the pad, sign it, pass it down to your neighbor. It lets us know uh, who is here. Several announcements to make. Uh, Evie and I will be on vacation actually, oh, in about an hour. As soon as I give the final blessing on you all, Evie and I are heading back to uh, Oklahoma for a week to see our friends out there. And so next week, Joe King will be preaching in my absence, and we will be having a very, very special Sunday school. So I want to remind you of this. Jonathan and Becca Hastings will be with us. And so at 9.15, you are invited to come in the sanctuary. We won't be up in the end room. You know why we're in the sanctuary? We're expecting more people. Hint, hint, are you getting what I'm, what I'm alluding to there? We're expecting more people, and so come on out for that particular Sunday school class. We are still looking for nursery volunteers. As I've been saying in recent weeks, we're almost there, but not quite. See Tommy Evans, or give me a call when I get back from vacation if you want. Uh, in terms of that, we're still looking for that. And the women's ministry, you see this handout right here? Got this handout, this insert. This is, ladies, for all of you, this looks like, this looks like a fun deal. The Cherry Blossom Festival in Macon, Thursday, March 24th. Leaving or meeting here at the church at 9.30, heading on to that. Here's the important thing to remember for that. RSV to Lynn Folks by the 20th of March, so she can have a head count in terms of that. One last announcement, uh, and it's a very exciting one. You've heard me kind of since the beginning of the year talking about our new beginnings. We've had, you know, we've had the election of officers, installed new elders and new deacons, our women's council, we've done some of that. You see the push for nursery, you see the push in youth and children's ministry. Well, here's your new beginnings now that I want to announce for the month of March. And you're going to hear a lot of this, and I want you to be praying about this. The session, and I think the session is very excited to be announcing that we will be hiring two new staff additions. One will be an assistant that's going to work largely in the areas of discipleship and discipleship of families, working in areas like our Christian education and our small groups, evangelism, that kind of stuff. And then a youth and families director I want you to picture birth to age 18. And I know you may not be able to visualize it right now, but picture this sanctuary swarming with young families. That's what we're excited about. That is one of our major emphases as we are moving forward. For now, I want you to be praying about the calling of these two staff additions. Uh, We're excited about it. You'll be hearing more and more. I even wrote a little bit about it in the newsletter article that comes out on Tuesday, so you'll be hearing more and more about that. So those are some of the things going on in the life of the church, 
And so now as we prepare our hearts to worship with the prelude, what an exciting time it is to come and to hopefully have our hope in the gospel renewed, to be renewed by the love and the power of Christ. Let's begin to focus our hearts and our attention on him. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Father, thank you that you call us to praise you. How worthy of praise you are. May we be gripped and captivated by your wonder and beauty, majesty and splendor, glory and so sovereignty. Lord, we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be with us this morning, to lead and guide us, to renew us, and to give us more hope as we go out into the world. Father, thank you for your initiative, your working in our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our opening hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
about you, but I take such great comfort and great hope, especially in the tumult and the turmoil of the world in which we live. His reign shall know no end. Our confession of faith this morning is from the Nicene Creed, and I can't help but think that more than ever, we need to remember what it is that unites us as a church, and not just as an individual congregation, but to remember that we are part of a global church made up of every tribe and tongue and people and language. And as we read this week in our community Bible reading, see the assumption I made there? As we read together 1 Corinthians 12, when one part, one member of the body to which we belong, to which we are united to, Christ is our head and we're the body, we're connected. So we're connected to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And when one member suffers, we all suffer. And so, friends, what, it is, what is it that unites us? Common belief, common doctrine. Let's recite together the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, 
and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. He shall come again with glory to judge, to right every wrong, to put the world finally to rights. Let's stand and sing together, Christ will be my hideaway.
I like to point out answers to prayer as we go to prayer. And so look who's singing in the choir with us. Carol Walker is back with us. So Charlie and Carol, great to see you. Great to have you back. As Carol was sharing with me before the service, she says, oh, look, we're singing Christ will be my hideaway. He is my hideaway. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Uh, our prayer this morning, we're going to go before the Lord in a time of, of saying the Lord's Prayer and then the pastoral prayer. The pastoral prayer has been inspired uh, by a dear friend of Evie's and mine. I don't know if you saw this. Evie posted this on Facebook yesterday. Uh, Ashley Marvatory Gorman used to be a staff member with Campus Outreach. She worked both in Charleston and Raleigh, so we've known her probably going on 15 years. She now works uh, with uh, women at Lifeway Christian Bookstore and Resources, and uh, just kind of, she put what, what I thought in beautiful form, just a prayer. And so that is what's inspiring this prayer as we turn to the Lord in this time of communion and going before. And I just love this visual that the scriptures give us of God's throne of grace. So friends, let's pray together first the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father of mercies, we are helpless and we feel helpless. We feel like we don't know what to do. But we do recognize what your scriptures tell us, that you are the Father of mercies, that you are the God of all comfort. And we recall that to mind that means that your heart is one of compassion for the downtrodden, for the blindsided, for the wounded, for the oppressed, for the grieving, and for the mourning. That you are both tender and strong for your people in their weakest moments. That when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, this is who we're praying to, the God of all comfort. We ask that you would comfort your people, that you would comfort the church in Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, the many missionaries that serve in, with MTW, with various denominations, with our friends that we have there. Man of sorrows. Again, we confess we don't know what to do, but as we look to you, Jesus, we recognize that you sit at the right hand of the Father with the scars of Rome on your glorified hands, that you know the pain of violent attack. You know intimately the lashes, the brutality, the cruelty that inevitably come with an enemy drunk on power. You know, as no one else does, what sufferers face. And we have the assurance that death does not have the final word, that resurrection and glory do. Because we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And spirit of life, again, we don't know what to do. 
but as we just acknowledged and confessed together, you are the Lord and giver of life. And life is in your wake everywhere you go. So we ask of you, Holy Spirit, that you would create life from this ash heap. From the chaos and dysfunction, turn things around and work them together, fashioning the broken dead bits into something living that we can't presently see through our tears. And we pray, Holy Spirit, as you indwell the church of Jesus Christ globally, that you will set the church aflame to wade into the madness as the salt and light that we are and that we're called to be. We are an outpost of heaven as the body of Christ. Open our eyes to reality. Open our pockets to needs. Open our houses to strangers. Make the church an oasis, for the church is the hope of the world. Nothing else is a well in the middle of the wilderness. May we not look away from evil, but straight at it, and grant us now the resolve to show up any way with the hands and feet of Christ. You are the life giver, and we look to you, and you are the Lord of all. And so we fall on our faces with Jehoshaphat, looking at the mighty horde that rushes upon the powerless with the same words that were on his lips, may we say on our lips, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are ever on you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Every day they pass me by I can see it in their eyes Empty people filled with care Heading who knows where Laughter hides their silent cry. Only Jesus
We are called to take the light To a world where wrong seems right What could be too great a cost Than sharing life with one who's lost Through his love our hearts can feel All the grief may bring And we'll seal the wounds of life Only we can share People need the Lord People need the Lord At the end of road You have to excuse me while I wipe away some of the tears after that song. I say this often, so thanks for putting up with me with this, but you need to realize that whether it's the choir or in this case Amy and Dick, they're not performing. This is leading us in worship. This is leading us. Christ is with us right now. And I can't help even as that, you know, my heart goes out and I go, first of all, I'm overwhelmed that I would even be called to get to proclaim the greatest news in the earth. That just floors me and blows me away. I'm like, God, do you, I think you know who I am. Do you recognize? So I see my own need for the Lord, and then I can't help but look at the world around us. And that's the overwhelming thought that I have, is that we don't need programs. We, don't, we need the Lord Jesus Christ to breathe into us new life. And so let's pray and turn our hearts to the scriptures this morning. 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that. Breathe new life into us. Renew us in the power of the gospel. Help us to recognize, and I pray that even in this time, you work in our loves, you work in our desires, you recalibrate our hearts. My own heart needs to be recalibrated that, Jesus, you are my chief love. We're all built to love, and we are what we love, and we're going to look at that message as we explore the scriptures this morning. And so I pray that you would retune our hearts. As the great hymn says, retune our hearts to sing thy grace. May that be what your spirit does in us as we engage with your word. May it not be an academic exercise as we do this. You are revealing yourself. Yes, there's deep theology in it. There's information in it. But you are revealing you, your heart, your agenda, your mission to us. We are in touch with the living God. What a mystical moment this is as we engage with you through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The text upon which our teaching is based this morning comes from Romans chapter 6. We're continuing in our series in the book of Romans, and we are looking at chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having become set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just, as you were, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is the word of the Lord. So what Paul's been doing is contrasting our former life with new life. He's basically been saying that when one becomes a Christian, when one becomes a follower of Jesus, they are not only forgiven, they are not only under grace, they are given the gift of new life. Let me ask you a question this morning. As you look at your life, maybe as you look back over it, can you think of ways in which, in your former life, you put an awful lot of energy into things that you look at now and you consider to be wrong? Look back at your life and go, how could I have been so foolish? How could I have lived that way, done that, had that pattern, had that? Anybody do that? Okay, I'll go first. You're getting used to this, aren't you? I'll give a personal example of something I am not particularly proud of. And I know we don't have many young people here, but if you're a student here, please don't do as I model in this because this is from my former days. I put an awful lot of energy. 
I actually worked hard as a, as a student. And I'm thinking elementary school, middle school, high school, into college. I worked extremely hard. I was a hard worker. You know what I was good at working at? Not working hard. I put a lot of energy. You know how much I love to read right now? I mean, have you seen my office? And this is only half of my books. The other half are at home. As much as I love to read now, I did not read a book cover to cover until seminary. My first book I ever read, now I devoured Sports Illustrated as a kid. I had every issue of Sports Illustrated, but I did not read at all. Now I've always been kind of, a, what do they call, right side of the brain person, the side of the brain that looks at the liberal arts, English, writing, literature, uh, history, that kind of stuff. I was never good at the left side. The analytical, science, advanced mathematics. The only way I got as far as I did was I was good at memorizing. So here's the story. I go to college and you ever hear of those courses they call gen ed? General education, in other words, courses, no matter what you major in, you have to take those courses to graduate. Well, one of those courses was a science course and it was biology. There was no way. Talk about working hard at not working hard. You want to know how much of a chance there was going to be that I was going to carve up a fetal pig? It wasn't happening. Now, I wasn't, you know, well, I was a believer. This is still my former life, but I was really not understanding things at this point. But I happened to know, happened to know, in the providence of God, the biology teacher at Westchester University where I went to school. And I happened to know that he played golf. Light bulb goes off. So I said to him, and to protect the innocent, I won't give his name, uh, I went up to him and I said, Dr. So-and-so, I have an idea. You're teaching summer biology, this three-week course. What if you and I play golf together, I sign up for the course, I pay the tuition, and you give me a C. And talk about God smiling on me, he said yes. I signed up for the course, I never showed up a day in class, I got a C, and we played golf together. And do you want to know what else? Evie was in that summer class. We hadn't met yet, and she assures me to this day, if we had met in the, that class, there's no way she would have ever dated me, let alone married me. Now, I'm definitely not proud of that. It is definitely part of my former life. The latter half of Romans 6 that we're looking at as we're studying the book of Romans is that new freedoms, new life, comes with a new framework for living. And this new framework is a new slavery. And slavery, don't think political slavery. A new who do you, the title of the sermon, who do you belong to? A new lordship. No longer, you belong no longer to the realm of sin. That was your former life. Do we continue to sin? Yes. But do we belong to the realm of sin? No. We're no longer under its tyranny. We're no longer 
under its dominion. We are now a bondservant. We belong to righteousness, the kingdom of Christ. Remember I shared last week, Paul is saying, I want you to think of it, this, the gospel is a new exodus. You have been set free from Egypt. Again, I'll quote our community Bible reading. I'm expecting a lot of you this morning, aren't I? We've been reading through the book of Exodus. Have you, have you noticed how many times the Lord instructed Moses to go to Pharaoh with the words, you are to say to Pharaoh, let my people go, and it doesn't stop there. The next word is that, indicating purpose. Let my people go, that they may serve me. Who do you belong to? Service and worship belong together. Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. That's foreshadowed in the Exodus and is what is fulfilled and what Paul is talking about here in Romans. We are free from sin, free to a new life, that we may, in the context of the wilderness, traveling towards the promised land, that we may belong to and worship and serve Jesus Christ as our King. As a matter of fact, as we look over Romans 6 as a whole, we see it's divided into two parts, verses 1 to 14, and then verses 15 to 23. Verses 1 to 14 basically explains what happens to you when you become a Christian. And then verses 15 to 23 are the implications of that. And if you notice, verses 1 and verse 15 begin with the same sort of question, a question that is precipitated by Paul's teaching. Verse 1 says, what then? Should we continue to live in sin so that grace may increase? That's precipitated by his teaching in Romans 5 that says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. So he asks the question, how do we respond to this? If grace superabounds, should we continue to live in sin to make grace increase? And of course, he answers by no means. In verse 15, he says in a kind of similar language, what then? And the what then is in response to verse 14, you are no longer under law, but under grace. He says, are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And of course, he says, by no means. So now we're looking at the answer to that question. Why does being under grace, why does being forgiven as far as the east is from the west, why does the fact that you are declared as righteous as Jesus is, why does that not lead to a life of sin? The answer to that is not to water down the message of the gospel. You are forgiven from your sins, past, present, and future. That's kind of amazing to think about. The sins you're going to commit next Thursday? I mean, dream up a little bit. What kind of sins are you going to commit next Thursday? Use your imagination. You are already forgiven for. Why then does that not lead to a life of sin? And we're going to see in these verses two reasons Paul gives. Because first of all, of the lordship principle, and second of all, because of the gospel transformation purpose. Let's look at the text. Verse 16, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Now again, look at this. He says, do you not know? He says, do you not know? And he doesn't say, 
Well, if you sin, God's going to get you. Don't you know that? If you sin, God will be disappointed in you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't water down the gospel. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What he's doing here is he's laying out a fundamental principle. And here's the fundamental principle. You are what you love. You are what you love. He's basically reiterating and putting in different terms what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's giving the fundamental principle, a lordship principle, that you are a bondservant. You belong to whatever you choose to obey. He's talking about here, he's given the fundamental principle of human nature, how we were built and created by God. One is either God's slave or sin's slave. There's no middle ground. He's talking about what it means to be human. You obey what you love and desire, and you are a slave to what you obey. Now, let me try to be as practical as I can here. Verse 11, he told us to count ourselves or reckon ourselves as something, namely, dead to the realm of sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. It's kind of like if I was to illustrate it this way, saying I'm a citizen. I belong to a certain country. I'm a citizen of the United States or a citizen of Great Britain, a citizen of any country. In this case, we are a citizen, ultimately, of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We are alive to the country of Christ. Now he's saying, so if you're alive to the country of Christ, that's fundamentally what it means to be a Christian. Practically, whatever we present ourselves to as obedient, that is our Lord and Master. We obey what we love or desire. Nobody in recent times has written more on this or put it better than Jamie Smith. Jamie Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, writes the following. He says, worship works from the top down. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena. In fact, he calls it a gymnasium. This is where we are right now. You realize in worship, we're not just offering praise to God. God is doing something to you and in you right this minute. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. That's why worship is the most important habit you can have because even if you don't understand everything going on, even if some of it doesn't make sense to you. By the habit of it, God is doing something to remake your loves because the principle is we belong, we are bondservants to what we obey, and we obey what we love. So reordering our loves is absolutely essential. That's why we do daily worship and community Bible reading, not just to give us information but to reorder our hearts because sin does something to us. It disorders your loves. Sin makes me love sports more than Jesus. 
Sin makes me love me more than Jesus. Sin makes you love you more than Jesus. Our loves are disordered, and they need to be reordered because we will obey what it is we love. And so we present ourselves to what we love, and we need to have our loves reordered so that we present ourselves to obedience leading to righteousness. And worship is the gymnasium where that happens. That's why, again, quoting Jamie Smith, he says, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. You want to know what you love the most? Look at your life. Look at your habits. Look at what you do. They will reveal what it is you love. If you're a workaholic, we all have to work. But if we're a workaholic and we can't let go of work, we're a perfectionist, we love being perfect more than we do Jesus. Look at your habits because they manifest your deepest loves and desire. Smith writes, this is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening, he calls it, under the hood of consciousness. In other words, we might be learning to love a telos, a purpose, that we're not even aware of and that nonetheless governs our life in unconscious ways. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God, to crave a world where he is all in all. A vision that is encapsulated by the shorthand kingdom of God. That's the fundamental lordship principle. You belong to what you present yourself to. Now look with me at verse 17 and look at the purpose of gospel transformation. Paul writes, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and, having become set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." Verse 17 begins with the words, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed to. So what is Paul giving thanks to? He says here the work of God, gospel transformation, the purpose of gospel transformation. One commentator put it says, To be a slave of sin means that one is under its lordship and dominion and thus unable to extricate oneself from its tyranny. But God in his grace broke the shackles of sin so that glad-hearted obedience became a reality for the Roman Christians. And such obedience reflects God's new covenant work in the hearts of believers. So what does he mean when he says here in verse 17 to the standard of teaching? He basically is talking about the gospel. The teaching that molds them, defines them, shapes them, transforms them. 
The teaching is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. A salvation that is complete, that is comprehensive, that is holistic, that includes being made a new person, what the Bible calls regeneration, where you go from death to life, giving you a justification where you're given a new status. God's act where he declares you forgiven and righteous. You have a new standing and where you're being sanctified and will be glorified. That is why verse 19 ends with the imperative, present our members. What does he mean by our members? That's all the parts of our lives. That's your will, your emotions, your affections, your mind, your body, your hands, your feet, your tongue. What you write on social media. Are we presenting ourselves? in other words, to obedience that leads to life? Are we life-giving? Or are we presenting ourselves to sin that leads to death? And again, we talked about how, and the how is through the habits of our daily life that come from what we love, which are recalibrated and reshaped by what we worship. So let's look at this. What are we presenting ourselves to? And then how in the world do we get the power to do this? If I let you go now, what a horrible sermon I've just given. Because I've just told you, let's go. I've given a good pep talk. But how in the world do you get the power to do it? The answer is the gospel. We must be gripped. We must be captivated by the wonder and the beauty and the grace of Christ. He must be our hero or champion. The only way we're going to present ourselves, the only way we're going to have our loves reordered so that we love him is if we are captivated and gripped by his love for us. What does John say in 1 John chapter 4? We love, and that doesn't mean, oh, we have a warm, fuzzy feeling. We love the purpose of humanity. We love God and we love other people because through the power of him first loving us. That means you will only grow as a human being. You will only become more fully human to the degree that you were tethered to the wonder and beauty and grace of Jesus Christ. He must become your hero and champion. Much and rightly, rightly, may I say, is being said right now of Ukraine's President Zelensky how he is standing up his leadership in the face of invasion. Many, as I read different things, are calling it heroic. And it may be. I'm not doubting that. But I want to warn us of a danger that we need to be aware of. We innately need a hero and need a champion. Heroes can be very inspiring. Part of us inside goes, yes, I'd like to be like that. That's an inspiration. We see that leadership, the bar is high, and we go, yes, but be very careful. Because that kind of hero can be crushing to us. What if you can't live up to it? And none of us can live up to the standard of God. Or it can also lead, here's the other side of the danger, to self-righteousness and pride. Pride. 
if somehow you are able, you have, you have discipline, you have that kind of bravery, and you are, it can lead to an ugly self-righteousness and pride. And I'm only sharing. I'm not sharing about him at all. I'm sharing about the dangers of our hearts. Be aware of our own hearts. Calvin said all true knowledge consists of this, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. I'm encouraging you to be knowledgeable of ourselves. And we were built to worship, created to worship, so we're looking for a hero. We want to find a hero the only hero that will lead to true freedom, that will free you, free you to be honest, free you to face your failures, free you to face your anxieties and get up again, free you you to be you. The only hero that will give you new life is Jesus Christ. What we really need is for Jesus to be our champion. We need to have our loves reordered that he becomes our hero so that we present ourselves to him and we're tethered to him. And we're growing in freedom, real freedom, freedom to, freedom to cultivating love for God and love for people. What are you presenting yourself to? Father, may we present ourselves to Jesus, the author and captain and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, and that joy that was set before him is us, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Help us to realize that our greatest need is to remember the gospel. That our greatest need is to remember you, Jesus. What a friend for sinners. That you're our savior and our lover. May we be captivated by your wonder and beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Jesus, what a friend for sinners.
Friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.